Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. Welcome in on a Friday. It's the Rebel Report. I'm Michael Borky. Thank you so much for making the podcast a part of your day. As always, what should be, it is not, but it should be the eve of Ole Miss and Texas A&M. And I don't know if you heard or read any of the comments uh, out of Aggieland uh, after the game got postponed, even though they're not going to play it. Um, After the game got postponed, they seemed a little frustrated. I don't know if you guys noticed that. That's the vibe that it that I got from hearing their comments. And I, I find it rich. The only reason why they're frustrated now is because they have an outside shot at making the college football playoff. And this game would have taken them a long way uh, forward. Or at least you think it would. Because their resume kind of is not great. Cole Kublik pointed it out to us on the radio show yesterday. If you look at what Texas A&M's done... They've got to win over Florida, which is good. Don't get us wrong. But then what? What's their next best win? Not a good one. So beating a program like Ole Miss that has all kinds of attention and everybody loves the offense and blah, 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 uh, would have taken them a long way on CBS at 7 o'clock on Saturday night, but th- that game didn't happen, so they appeared to be frustrated. The funny thing and the rich part about that is the game got postponed because of one positive in College Station. Ole Miss had significantly more than that. One positive in College Station shut the game down, and most people believe, uh, we never really got confirmation on this, but it was alluded to us, Um that it was because Kellen Mond wouldn't have been able to play. And that's why. So, miss everybody with being mad or frustrated that you can't play this game when you're the reason you couldn't play it the first time. Ole Miss was prepared when the game was regularly scheduled. So, that's on you. I don't feel bad for you at all. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We got hoops last night, Ole Miss and Jackson State, and also some recruiting stuff. Potentially big day today for Ole Miss. But first, number one, follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky. That's where I share most of my thoughts. And also, the podcast is brought to you every single day by LBs just across from Kroger on University Avenue. The weather this weekend in the state of Mississippi is going to be beautiful. Spend some time behind the grill, and get that started at LB's. Go see Greg. Tell him we at Super Talk sent you. The Rebel Report sent you. And yeah, they have daily lunch specials, by the way, Monday through Friday. But they are open seven days a week, so get your weekend started at LB's. All right, hoops last night. There's some recruiting stuff I want to talk about. Like I said uh, with Monday's show, that's more uh, of, of Zach's thing. And so we'll have him on again at some point here in the near future. But today is possibly going to be a big day. In fact, Ole Miss is making all kinds of moves. National-type moves in this recruiting class, which it bears repeating. is, I mean, it's hard to believe. The staff is... the. Best recruiting staff Ole Miss has probably ever had. 
but I still did not expect them to be in on this many national guys. I didn't expect them to be poised to sign a top 25 class if everything shakes out well. I mean, they could slip, long shot, long shot, but they could slip into the top 20. I did not expect that. It's just remarkable what they've done. But let's talk hoops first. Ole Miss gets the win last night over Jackson State. 80-45 to was the final. It was dicey for the first couple of minutes. Kermit Davis called timeout, and then Ole Miss just absolutely exploded in the game. The important thing, though, I think beyond just the game itself, is the fact that they they got to play. So Ole Miss, I don't know if you knew this, Ole Miss was the last Power 5 team in college basketball to start their season. Very last. <laughs> and uh, they did get that underway last night. But after they dealt with the COVID issue, had to miss two weeks, their coach got it, had to cancel a preseason tournament, it was just good to see them on the floor. And they were a little sloppy early. I'm sure you noticed that as well. They looked like a team that hadn't been able to do anything in weeks and couldn't practice until Monday. So they looked like that a little bit early, but then talent and depth. And then they started executing, especially defensively. uh, Took over and they won the game and won it comfortably. When you're talking about this game, I mean, the, the context needs to be that it is Jackson State. Although Jackson State went to Mississippi State and... The score ended up not being close, but, I mean, they had Mississippi State on the ropes at least in the first half. I think it was a two-point game at halftime. Uh, so the Bulldogs really struggled with Jackson State, and it's uh, they're not a pushover at all um, for their at their level for their conference. But everything needs to be looked at in context here. So everything I say that follows this, just know that we are talking about a game against Jackson State. But we'll start with... Uh, they they were sloppy early, like I said. Kermit Davis called an early timeout and basically subbed everybody. I, I mean, Ole Miss went to their bench almost entirely early, and that started a pretty significant offensive explosion. And I don't think that's just a product of them playing Jackson State. I think Ole Miss has true, full rotational depth. They've got 10-plus guys that could be starters, or significant contributors at any time. So what you saw last night, to me, I think is something that you're going to see a lot of. If Romella White, for example, is going to continue to come off the bench, which we'll see, I'd, I'd be surprised. I love his game. More on him in a second. But you've got guys that come off the bench that could be starters, that are good enough to be starters. That's how deep they are. So that, last night, to me, was not just something that you're going to do because it's Jackson State and you had to have a spark and calm everybody down, and you weren't happy with the effort. I think that kind of rotational depth is something they're going to use all season long. It's not going to be a situation like you saw last year where, I mean, you had, what, three bigs that that rotated and you didn't really have any other option? Not the case anymore. But uh, that Kermit Davis timeout before 16 minutes in the first half, like that's his, his patented thing, happened again last night. Uh, and uh, and it obviously obviously worked. Devontae Shuler last night had 23 points on 9 of 10 from the field, including a perfect 5 for 5 from the three-point line. Uh, just a really obvious, I mean, here we go, obviously. Really nice performance. I would like to see him get to the line a little bit more. Um, 
But shooting's what this team needs anyway, because I think they're going to be pretty good uh, on the block. I, I like K.J. Buffin, what he's done with his body. He looks good. Hadeem C. was efficient last night. I mentioned Romello White. I think he is an impact player. Um, just really solid, does everything so well, and he looked like he was a grinder. Just going to do the dirty work down low, just be real physical and probably overwhelm some people. Only had eight points and six boards last night, but I, I love his game. Um, this team's going to need shooters, consistent shooters. I, I, you don't expect Devontae Shuler to, to go five for five from the outside every night, but you do need him to be a consistent scoring threat every single night, I think. I think. Um, he doesn't have to replace Bree and Tyree, but they're going to need some production and scoring from a veteran guard like him to really open things up for what I think they're going to have a nice rotation and some talent uh, in the 3, 4, and 5 spot. I think they're going to be really good there. So having a consistent scoring threat from a veteran leader like Devontae Schuler, who looked really explosive last night, he was getting shout-outs from uh, John Morant on Twitter, which is pretty cool. Um I know a lot of you aren't big NBA guys, but if John Morant's shouting you out, um, people notice. And they were AAU teammates. He and uh, Morant and Schuler and Zion Williamson were on, a, on the same AAU team way back in the day. And Zion said in an interview, I think we talked about this last year, that uh, Schuler was the scorer. That that Zion was kind of just like a, like a role player, and it was uh, it was Schuler's team, which is kind of cool. But um, they need more of this from him. Just consistent scoring. It doesn't have to be at the volume of Tyree. He doesn't have to be a volume shooter. And if he's if he's going to shoot ninety percent, well then congratulations. He won't do that. But consistent scoring threat from your veteran guard is something that they they absolutely need. And it was a really nice explosive uh, start for him last night. And I mentioned him a second ago, but that's what I have written down here. I love Romello White's game. I just, I thought he was criminally underused when he was at Arizona State. He shot 60% from the field and barely averaged double digits in in scoring. 60% from the field, barely averaged double-digit scoring. Completely underused. I don't think that'll be the case here. Uh, Only had 20 minutes in the game last night, but four or five from the line. Had six rebounds, eight points. uh, Turned it over a couple of times, but had a couple of blocks as well. Uh, Sammy Hunter looked explosive in his uh, limited time. He had a nice block that turned into a transition. Uh, They've got got dudes down low. But I really like Romello White's game. Like I said, I I feel like he does the dirty work. Um, He's very clearly played a lot of high-level basketball. His court awareness is very good. His post moves look pretty good. Ball fakes, stuff like that. Physical. I expect a lot more production out of him moving forward, especially once they get into SEC play. I think they'll rely on him a little bit more. But you can tell that he's played a lot of basketball. His game looks to me like it's pretty refined and very aware of what his role is and what he's doing. And that's another thing I noticed with this team, last night anyway. It, it appeared to me like they're, they're, it's a bunch of guys that very very much understand what their role is. And it's just one game now, and it's just Jackson State, but it looked like none of those guys played out of what their role was supposed to be. They all looked really comfortable with what they were being asked to do, and it's easy to do that against Jackson State, but at times last year, 
They didn't really look like that. They didn't really show that. And they did last night. They all look really comfortable in their role. They know their assignments. They played really good defense. That was the lowest point total in the first half that Ole Miss has ever given up uh, under Kermit Davis. 12 points were given up by Ole Miss in the first half. Lowest that Kermit Davis uh, and Ole Miss team has given up. Um, They played good, suffocating, responsible defense for the most part. They forced a lot of turnovers from Jackson State and looked like guys that were really comfortable in their role, and it helps to play good defense the way they do, um, considering how long they are. I, I mean, there are a handful of guys on that team, Luis Rodriguez being one of them. I don't know if he's an NBA player. I mean, we'll have to see. But he physically looked like an NBA player. It just the length and the size, and almost has a bunch of guys like that. Um, the length on that team is remarkable. I mean, I've only been around Ole Miss for, for 10 years. This is 11 years. I don't remember an Ole Miss team that had this kind of length and size across the board. I, I don't remember one. Especially like at the wing spot. Bunch of long guards that, that, that they'll play. Big physical guys down low. I mean, Sammy Hunter, like I said, didn't play much, but looked physically better. Such a long team. But, like, Luis Rodriguez stood out to me. That guy physically looks like an NBA player. And he's not the only one on the floor that plays that looks like that. I was really impressed with the size. Uh, Domencio Vaughn's another guy that I was impressed with. It, it, just looking at him physically, the the uh, the transfer from, from Ryder, physically looks like an NBA player. I'm not saying he is, of course, so, so don't get me wrong, but they had a bunch of guys that looked like that. So, nice win. I mean, you know, Jackson State is a team that you're supposed to beat by a lot, and they did uh, just that. So after a two-week hiatus and all the crap that's surrounding having to play a basketball season in uh, what is going to be an empty arena, because, by the way, the uh, the order changed. The governor's order changed from 25% capacity to 10% indoor capacity. And uh, nobody at Ole Miss got a heads up. Luckily, uh, they got to keep the 2,500 tickets uh, that were distributed in any way. They obviously didn't show up last night. Um, they were allowed to keep those for yesterday's game, but they've got to reduce it to under 1,000 people for Ole Miss home games. So they sold tickets, sold them out, to 2,500 people and have to, I guess, I don't know, refund the money or or something, but 1,500 Ole Miss fans scattered around the country who wanted to see their basketball team play in person this year um, had to get told out of the blue that you can't anymore. Sorry. Um, But we can sure have Christmas parties, can't we? Sorry. All right, Um, coming up for Ole Miss, so they've got a bunch of games here in a row. So Saturday, they'll play UNC Wilmington. That's in Oxford. It's on the SEC alternate, so good luck finding it. Um, That's on Saturday at 4 o'clock. They've got Central Arkansas on Monday at 7. That's on the SEC network. They've got Middle Tennessee on Wednesday. That's on the CBS Sports Network. And then Dayton on Saturday. So they're playing uh, between... Saturday and the next Saturday, four games in seven days coming up with UNC Wilmington, Central Arkansas, Middle Tennessee, and Dayton. You'll get a good look at Dayton this Saturday if, if you care, if you're not watching football. Mississippi State will be playing 
Dayton this weekend. So you'll get a little bit of a uh, of a comparison there between those two teams. So that's what's coming up for Ole Miss. Nice win. Took care of business last night, which is all you can really ask them to do considering what they've been through the last couple of weeks. So uh, so good on them. All right, turning the page here, recruiting. Um, we had the episode with Zach on Monday, and a lot has changed since then. And most specifically, a name has popped up that uh, I don't know if Zach and I touched on. Maybe, I think Zach mentioned it, actually. I, I could be wrong. I think Zach brought it up. But we didn't spend much time on it because it didn't seem like this was going to happen. But uh, all indications, all the future casts, all the crystal balls, everything, say that Hudson Wolf is going to commit to Ole Miss possibly today. And who's Hudson Wolf? He is a likely plug-and-play, instant-impact tight end from Savannah, Tennessee, which is not far from the Mississippi border. He's the number 52 player in the country. He's the number two tight end in the country. And he's the number one player in the state of Tennessee. He's been committed to Tennessee for a long time. Now everybody thinks that, well, he decommitted, I think, yesterday or the day before. Um, and everybody thinks that he is headed Ole Miss's direction. And it sounds like, I don't mean to read between the lines of a tweet, but it sounds like Joe John Finley, you know, the tight end coach at Ole Miss, he tweeted a picture of his kid in an Ole Miss jersey and said, it's a great day for a great day. Now, they probably tweet stuff like this all the time, but most people anticipate this kid is going to play or going to uh, commit to Ole Miss today inside of one week, five days before early signing day on the 16th. I mean, watching his highlights... It's a mystery this isn't a five-star. Just unbelievable size and for, for a high school kid. And speed and catching the football. It's a mystery this kid isn't a five-star. But either way, this is a national recruit that Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Tennessee, Auburn, I mean, everybody wanted this kid. Number one player in the state of Tennessee. And Ole Miss is going to get him. And if that changes, if there's some kind of surprise, just ignore everything I'm about to say. But I'm just I'm going based off the indications, okay? Uh, going based off of what everybody thinks. This is, I think, the first real tangible example of this class. Now, this is going to sound silly because they've got other four stars committed. But this late in the process, a few days before signing day, they are able to flip a guy from Tennessee that everybody wants. Elite level tight end that everybody wants. They're able to flip from Tennessee to Ole Miss. I know they've got Altmeyer, for example. He was a Florida State guy. I know they've got uh, Braylon Brown at wide receiver, who's a four-star that people wanted. I know they've got some guys that other people wanted committed to them. But this, to me, stands out. Because it's late in the process, he was committed somewhere else, a place that people perceive to be a better job, even though I don't think it is anymore, but people perceive it as that. Um, this, to me, is the, the biggest example of this staff's ability to recruit nationally against the big boys, if they're able to pull off the signing of Hudson Wolf, if it does happen. And it's not surprising in the least bit. 
uh, I guess we could get the mayor's thoughts on this. I know Ole Miss's recruiting class back in the summer when it, they upgraded at kicker was an absolute disaster. But um, this staff recruiting at this level isn't surprising at all. It's an incredibly talented staff. You knew that they were going to be in on some kids. But I did not expect them to be able to beat out known commodities, although you know Tennessee's a different animal because Pruitt might be on his way out, but to beat known commodities for kids with the inability to have visits and anything like that, it just goes to show you, one, what kind of staff you've got, the type of recruiters they are, and that it's not just local lip service. People aren't say around here in Mississippi, people aren't saying, well, some people, you know, others, uh, I hope you don't hear that, by the way, little guy's upset. Um, people around Mississippi are not just saying that Ole Miss is exciting for the sake of it. It's real. It's national. People are paying attention. The, the branding, the marketing, the Twitter, the offense, everything is not just lip service, that, that we see it. It's real. Hey, buddy. You okay? He's being crazy. Sorry. Uh, but it's real. It's tangible. We have examples of that right in front of us now. And there's a handful of other guys that I'm going to talk about. If Ole Miss is able to flip more of these guys or, or sign more of them and finish with a class that's in the 20s, I mean, it's a remarkable accomplishment. And it goes to show you that everything that everybody's paying attention to right now is working. It's a It's Two separate opposite thoughts being had at the same time. One, you shouldn't have doubted this staff at all. I mean, that's a stupid thing to do. Too many good recruiters on this staff, national recruiters with ties everywhere, for them to not be good. But also, considering everything they've been up against, recruiting at this level is pretty freaking remarkable. And if they put, uh, if they get Hudson Wolf in the boat, uh, then things really might take off. I mean, because they're in on a handful of other guys. I don't know what's going to happen with Deion Smith, for example. The the guy, uh, I think Jackson Prep, right? Um, who's been committed to LSU forever. The number one player in the state of Mississippi, a four-star wide receiver. Um, he's been committed to LSU since December of last year for an entire year. And there are people that think that Ole Miss is, is pushing hard, but LSU is going to hold them off. But that was before the news came out this week. And the things that are going on right now in Baton Rouge uh, would scare me. They would. They would terrify me if I was a player. I don't think the NCAA is done with a single bowl ban. I said this on the radio yesterday, and if you listen, sorry, I'm, I'm going to repeat it, but um, generally, usually, I would agree with people that said, well, it's LSU, nothing's going to happen to them. Nothing's happening to LSU. Usually, I would agree. But if you think about what they have, I think they can't ignore it. I think it's impossible for them to ignore this. What they have on LSU. On top of the fact that the uh, the committee now that's handling the enforcement wouldn't separate football and basketball, wouldn't separate it. They're, they're looking at them together, which is a big problem for LSU. They have a former player on the field handing out a couple thousand dollars to players. They have, most importantly, a booster who is now sitting in prison for 33 months. 
for embezzling money through a hospital charity to pay players and family members of players at LSU, including $180,000 to one individual. There's other violations mixed in there as well. LSU had self-imposed some scholarship restrictions as well on top of their bowl ban. See, what's so funny about the way the Ole Miss investigation was covered is that people like Dan Wolken called it crimes. It was even a headline in the USA Today column. Ole Miss needs to fess up to their crimes. What's going on in Baton Rouge are real, actual crimes. Pair what happened with their football program uh, to Will Wade being caught on a federal wiretap. These are things that the NCAA did not have on Ole Miss. They did not have on Southern Miss basketball, who got absolutely decimated by the NCAA, and they had one witness with inconsistent story. They have a man sitting in prison. They have video of Odo Beckham Jr. handing out money to players. They have audio of Will Wade discussing offers to players. And on top of all of that, you've got the alleged covering up or mishandling of assault and sexual assault and domestic violence within their program. And then the student newspaper ran a story about the toxic environment and just the nastiness inside their women's tennis program not just centered around the alleged covering up of abuse that their student-athletes faced. Those are real crimes, actual crimes. I don't think you can ignore it. I don't think you can stop at eight scholarships in one bowl bin. I think the term lack of institutional control was used a lot for other schools, and in this case, it it's actually real does is anybody in charge over there seriously is anybody in charge this is what an out of control institution is this is not you know kids getting 100 bucks for signing an autograph or selling their jerseys to a local tattoo parlor which got a coach fired at ohio state this is actual crimes real criminal activity one person's already sitting in jail for it i don't think they can ignore this I really don't. On top of the fact that it's just a disaster, player the the roster is dropping like flies, and the team stinks, and there's questions about the future and rumors floating around everywhere. Uh, I imagine Ole Miss is really hammering that home with that in-state four-star wide receiver, hammering that home. But they're in on another four-star wide receiver. They're in on uh, a handful more. What's going on right now? On top of the fact that, um. They got flips, and what's so funny about this state is uh, the semantics of what a flip is is now what is being argued, right? Um, So Ole Miss got a commitment this week from Brandon Buckhalter, the wide receiver. They got a commitment this week from McKaylin Pounders, uh, both of whom were Mississippi State commits. But what's being spun is that Apparently, according to some, Mississippi State smelled out a scheme to have them flip on signing day for a more impactful thing, so they pulled their scholarships. As if that makes it any better. I think we talked about this with Zach on Monday. That doesn't make it any better. What's going on right now here in this state is is momentum coming to fruition. It's working. 
They've got it. They're flipping guys from Florida State and Mississippi State and Tennessee, and it's working. And the the strategy of get the kids in Mississippi that you think can help you win and recruit nationally is working. They're going to get some guys in the transfer portal. And this is, yet again, this is why you don't talk about recruiting rankings in June or July, especially in a pandemic year. And they've got to close. There's still five days until National Signing Day. Five days. And for some reason, Rivals, which is the one I'm looking at right now, has not rated Ole Miss's two JUCO defensive tackle recruits. 24-7 has. And uh, Ole Miss, I think right now, is 28th in the country in recruiting class. That's before they add Hudson Wolf to the class and potentially a handful of others. Because they actually have uh, ranked junior college players where Rivals has not. And... Ole Miss is still has fewer commits than almost everybody in front of them. Basically everybody in front of them. Far fewer commits. And right now, on Rivals, they sit at 28th. Or excuse me, on 24-7, they sit at 28th. And that's with two kickers. Two of them. Counting right now in their class. It's remarkable what they've done. It just, it's not over yet. We've got to close, of course. Have to close. But if they get Hudson Wolf today, if they're able to get Ty Cooper, if they're able to get, um, if they're talking about flipping some linebackers, Zach said there's a couple of guys that are committed to Michigan that Ole Miss is trying to get four-star guys. There's a, a linebacker that's committed to Oregon. Christian Burkhalter is his name. So you've got Buckhalter and Burkhalter. In this class, a guy from Spanish Fort who's committed to Oregon. Uh, that's a hell of a trip. Uh, uh, potentially somebody that they're looking at flipping. If they're able to pull just some of these off, just some of them, um, buckle up for what's going to happen when they can actually have a full cycle. Now, buckle up, because it's going to be pretty remarkable. As long as the staff can stay in place. I did see Arkansas State uh, came open yesterday. And... Uh, Blake Anderson, it's such a sad story. Um, Blake Anderson was quoted uh, earlier this season. Um, you remember Blake Anderson's the one whose wife passed last year um, due to breast cancer. And he was quoted talking about how if he's, if he's going to be able to handle being in that town where everywhere he looks, he's got a memory of her. And it sounds like that really played into this, played into the decision for him to leave and go to Utah State. Apparently they had a team meeting yesterday that was really emotional. And he seems like one of the good ones um, in the industry. And, and just your heart breaks, man, when you read that quote uh, from him about trying to live in Jonesboro after that happened. And uh, he's a hell of a coach. And I think he'll be at the Power 5 level uh, very soon. I'm surprised he hasn't been already, but either way, that job has come open. Uh, I got asked this morning about Jeff Lebby, potentially. Bruce Feldman, I think, named Lebby as a candidate for that job. Uh, that's one that I'd be worried about. I don't think there are many group of five places where you would jump from an SEC coordinator to. Arkansas State would be one to me. I mean, they've churned out coaches. Uh, Brian Harson, Hugh Freeze, Gus Malzahn, you can go there and win, and they really invest in their football program. They've 
updated their stadium like crazy. It looks beautiful. It's nicer than the Vaught right now. Vaught-Hemingway needs some work, which, as I've told you before on this podcast, it is coming. Uh, Keith Carter told us on the radio show that a capital campaign and facilities upgrade is coming. We just got to get past all this crap first. Uh, but he did say it was coming. I'm excited to see what that looks like. But right now, Arkansas State's investing in football. Stadium's beautiful. It's updated. That's a place where I'd be worried about Jeff Levy leaving to. And I think it makes all perfect sense for him. You go there, you win a few years, and that job gives you legitimacy. It provides um, next-level opportunities for these guys. It's one of the most successful uh, group of five programs. That Appalachian State's another one that's turned out some big-time coaches. Arkansas State's uh, one that, if I were a guy like him, if that's my aspiration to be a head coach, and Arkansas State calls, I answer. But uh, that's just speculative. I don't know if Arkansas State's going to pursue him or not. I'm just saying, if they did call him, um, if I were him, I would take that job, I think. But either way. And, and you've got to trust that stuff like this is going to happen. If you're going to be a big-time program, you're going to have staff members leave. What should encourage you is what the initial staff looked like and the way that he's running this program. It's got to be encouraging because it looks like it's a fun place to work on top of the fact that, you know, in year one, they're exceeding expectations. He's got the connections in the industry, running a program that's attractive and fun. Keith Carter is going to invest in football, I promise you. Money's not going to be an object. You've got to help him with that, but money's not going to be an object as long as you, uh, the fans, help him. Uh, with that so it'll be an attractive job financially it's in the SEC it's a fun place to work all that stuff so I don't uh, like my buddy that I was talking to this morning about it um seemed you know worried I I, I wouldn't be worried uh-oh uh-oh you hear that ah poor guy anyway I wouldn't be worried about uh, I wouldn't be worried about that because the good coaches and the, the good programs are able to uh, replace those guys. And I think Lane Kiffin is, has got the Rolodex and, and stuff that, that's going to happen. Coaches getting hired at other jobs is a good thing. That means the next coach wants to work for you. Coaches want to work for Alabama. You know why? Because Alabama assistants get better jobs. Coaches want to go to Arkansas State. You know why? Because Arkansas State will vault you to better jobs. Ole Miss can be that too. So if Levy does leave, thank him for his one incredible year. And then Kiffin hires the next guy, and the next guy's going to want the job because of what happened. So I wouldn't be worried about it if I were you. All right, that's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in uh, on this Friday. Enjoy your off weekend before Ole Miss plays LSU next week. Enjoy the hoops. Again, follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky. Don't forget to subscribe. If you're listening on any podcast platform, subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating and a review, and I will talk to you again on Monday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.